this is MJ. I'm an author, I'm an artist, I'm an analyzer. You can find all my work at mgmunios.com. Welcome to my fully operational Star Wars analysis. I am talking about Ahsoka Episode 3. Make my way back home and learn to fly! No, it's just time to fly. That's the name of the episode. Anyway, this was written by Steph... Or no, directed by Steph Green and written by Dave Filoni or Dave the Pony if you were an old... Uh, I think it, I was going to say Rebel Force Radio, but it would have been uh, the Force Cast, I think, at the time, listener. But, you know, whatever. You don't have to be. Uh, so, anyway, the episode was good. Uh, it was decent. I, yeah, I was going to say something about the cinematography and the establishing shots, but if you listen to my six-part road or journey to Ahsoka streaming series available now on Disney Plus um, you would have heard that already and if you didn't then I'll just quickly recap it this episode had cool establishing shots which are a very Star Warsy thing and a lot of the wide cinematic shots are very Star Warsy and I think in clips that I've seen in like Star Wars documentaries of the old serials they had a similar vibe and a similar look to them but I don't see great establishing shots much other place than Star Wars, other than uh, I did, I have noticed it as I'm watching Ultraman sometimes, uh, which is Japan's greatest hero, arguably. Even though Kamen Rider's better. Come on, you guys know Kamen Rider's better. Anyway, um, but yeah, so that has really great establishing shots, but they do establishing shots to show off the base that the heroes occupy and things like that. Um, but it's made in the same tradition of those serials where you've got, you know, spaceships on wires and whiskers on kittens. So, uh, yeah. I like those shots. But, overall, I found this episode very enjoyable. Uh, it was very interesting. I will say, though, one demerit of the episode, less the episode, and more the series, or the story of this Ahsoka streaming series overall, which, this is, you know, it's Rebels season, or it's like, you know, Rebels live action, slash... Ahsoka's journey as a, a master or mistress or whatever you would call that. Uh, we, if you watched Star Wars Rebels, you saw the Blueberry himself, Ezra Bridger, struggle to become a Jedi, come in tune with the Force, and be able to do things like move. a bowl on a table in his living quarters. Here, you're seeing Sabine Wren struggle to move a cup on a table in her living quarters. Ezra Bridger's master was a Jedi Padawan who never completed his training. Ahsoka Tano, Sabine Wren's master, is a Jedi Padawan who never finished her training. Kanan Jarrus, also known as Caleb Doom, was a Jedi Padawan who, despite the fact that he never finished his training, went through a lot of interesting experiences and tangled with Darth Vader himself, Dark Lord of the Sith. Ahsoka Tano is a Padawan who, despite the fact that she never finished her training, also tangled with the Sith Lord Darth Vader. I don't know if those parallels and similarities 
bother anybody else. And I almost feel as if Filoni's work on Ahsoka is almost erasing in some ways the work that was done on Star Wars Rebels or in Star Wars Rebels. And I find it peculiar. Uh, I don't want to accuse him of retreading Star Wars Rebels in live action here because, well, I want to be nice. So I don't want to accuse him of retreading it. But I do feel, because I feel like it's enough of a novel and different approach and it kind of doesn't matter uh, the way that things are being repeated or uh, being echoed from Rebels because, after all, Star Wars is like poetry. It rhymes, right? Uh, But the way that it's rhyming is peculiar, especially because it's rhyming over the course of the lives of these characters. And, like, when Sabine... When Ezra was struggling to become a Jedi and use his Force ability that he knew about, Sabine never mentioned it. I know I mentioned this previously covering Ahsoka, but it just doesn't make sense to me that we're only finding out now that Sabine Wren has some level of Force sensitivity. And if it's in a book somewhere, a kid's book somewhere that I didn't read, that's weird that I've never heard anybody talk about that. Because I was... I listened to the Rebels report, I listened to various people talking about Star Wars Rebels on podcasts back in the day as it was happening live, uh, and nobody ever mentioned it. And it just seems strange that that would never get mentioned. So it's, it's odd that there's like this retcon being made, and it doesn't make any sense. But more to the point, and stepping away from the retcon issue, is I don't understand why we're having Filoni exploring the same master-Padawan dynamic as was done in Star Wars Rebels. And if Sabine and Ahsoka end up having discussions about the lessons of how they're a family, even though they're not related to each other by blood, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to lose my mind a little bit, because Rebels at some point became, it's all about family, and you know how fast they can drive their cars. So, that's frustrating to me, and I don't understand why you would just repeat those things, because throughout Star Wars The Clone Wars, I feel like the show, over 100 episodes, I think it's like 112 episodes total, or is that just a Yu Hawk show, the greatest story ever told, animation? I don't know. Anyway, uh, I feel like over the course of the Clone Wars, there was never really a repetition of anything, and there was never really a retreading, and I didn't feel like anything in Rebels retread or repeated things from Star Wars The Clone Wars. So, it's a little shocking to me that going to live action, going to this big, huge stage and platform of live action, that you would go ahead and do things that people could uh, point to and accuse you of retreading, repeating, and replaying the same old song over and over again, Sam. And I'm at a loss for why that was done. That being said, I really enjoyed the training that Ahsoka's doing. I really enjoy seeing her teaching and mentoring Sabine. I enjoyed it when she did similar type of work with the younglings in the youngling arc of Star Wars The Clone Wars. I enjoyed it in the Onderon arc 
when she was helping to train Saw Gerrera and his rebels. And something about the approach that Ahsoka has to teaching because she's a incomplete Jedi, she's a Padawan who walked away from the Jedi Order after she figured she couldn't trust them anymore. And something about her faith in people being who they are despite the fact that they lack uh, particular qualifications or certifications given to them by organizations is endearing and kind of wonderful and beautiful. I believe Filoni is like an accredited, you know, arts major kind of guy from whatever schools you go to to get that sort of thing. And yet, uh, he doesn't demand that his characters have those sorts of similar qualifications, like I said, in order to be recognized and competent and uh, to be in these heroic roles. And I do like that. There's a little bit of a, an interesting countercultural, like, uh, I don't know, not punk, but like sub, sub, not sub-genre, that's not the right way, but like, I don't know, there's a little bit of like a countercultural bent in that, where it's like, yeah, I'm unorthodox because I'm not part of this actual legitimate school of, you know, whatever, but I do the business of, I do the duty of, I do the tasks demanded by these people, and I do it in a way that's as competent as how they do it, or even, you know, more competent than how they do it, or what they're supposed to be. Like, I live up to the ideals of this organization, even though I'm not an officially recognized or sanctioned member of this organization. I think that's a really cool idea, and it stresses the ethos that you don't have to actually be a part of a given thing, or accepted as a part of a given thing by the people who control it, and who are the uh, the ones who dole out the certification and who, you know, decree the dogma and such of the organization. You don't have to actually meet their approval in order to be good and to be correct and to be on the right path. You can be a little bit of a renegade. You can be a little bit of a person who's, you know, living on the edge or, or in these, you know, weird places that exist in between, and you can still be seen as fully legitimate because it's not how others think about you that matters. It's what you do that matters and what that makes you who you are. It's your choices that make you who you are. And I think that's clear in the kind of stories and, and structures of stories and the types of characters or archetypes of characters that Filoni is exploring in the stories that he's run, like Rebels and now like with Ahsoka and even uh, The Mandalorian, you could say. You know, because them being part of Death Watch and whatnot or The Watch, Children of the Watch, um, is all kind of... Uh, it kind of deals with the same milieu, I, I guess you could say. So, I find that really interesting. Uh, but, talking about Star Wars laser stuff, uh, the whole put this visor on and let me walk around you and tap you with the sword and challenge you to get in tune with the Force, super cool. Super cool training session. Um, I like... Uh, just I like how you, we got to see the full training session with the swords, uh, which that's the, the Shinzo, whatever she said it was. Um... Like, that was cool. Uh, and then the fact that Sabine, like, kind of, as time went on, she got into it, and then she failed by getting angry and frustrated. And then Ahsoka told her, look, anger and frustration, they're going to give you power and drive, but they're also going to unbalance you and make you fail at the very thing you're trying to accomplish. So do not rely on them, not because it's evil and it's scary, but, like, this is an unreliable, unsustainable form of activity or, or mode to put your mind in because it's going to make you fail and slip up ultimately and then you'll be farther from where you want to be instead of closer to where you want to be. So eschew 
reject the anger and frustration. Accept them and know that they are part of who you are and part of your experience as a sentient being, but then set them aside and focus on having the drive, the determination, the core, or or the the focus to do what you need to do, because that is the true path to mastery, not the the haphazard luck and... uh, I guess in chance of doing things under duress or or under anger. That's that was a really cool lesson, and I like how she just says, "All right, that was good. Let's do that again." I didn't quite get the whole dynamic with her and Sabine with the uh, the gunner um, pod at the back of the ship, and like you know, Sabine's telling her like dive and swing and flip and roll. Like I like that we saw them working together, but I just didn't quite understand why. Sabine needed them to do it like that and I also didn't understand why things worked that way like did Sabine learn to shoot like that because she was shooting uh, from the ghost while Hera was flying and Hera was doing all sorts of evasive maneuvers so Sabine was adapted to shooting like that because I can see and they say fight (laughs) train like you fight Uh, there's a meme about a guy like running around with guns uh, in the woods drunk you know, because he's like, hey, I'm, I wanna, I'm training like I'm going to fight. This, the assumption is he's going to be drunk when he needs to get into a gunfight. Therefore, he needs to be drunk while he's training uh, to get into a gunfight so that he you know, fights in the, same, in the same way. So is that what it was, that Sabine came up under Hera's you know, desperate flying, and uh, that's how she adapted to fighting um, from a gunner pod? And she's asking the same thing with Ahsoka. Ahsoka wants to fly a different way, not like Hera. And Sabine's asking her to conform to the way Hera would do it. Maybe that's what's going on. I don't know. It's unclear. It's unexplained. Uh, but I found that kind of an interesting dynamic. Uh, I really like this idea of Huyang having these, like, ener- like, these training saber safety sword things where they're meant more for, like, target practice and that they record the strikes that the, uh, that, you know, the student makes through them. That's really cool. Um, one, because I can conceive of how that technology could work. Two, it made a cool... Well, I guess one, it made a cool visual. Two, I can conceive of how the technology would work. And three, my mind kind of jumped to the possibilities of how that would work in a... Um, like, how that would serve to train uh, a student and how it would serve to show the efficacy of their their saber work so that was pretty cool and also uh, I don't remember him doing that in Star Wars The Clone Wars uh, with the protrusions that he's got and it's he's kind of like a like a proto grievance which is pretty cool um, it makes me think well now it makes me think back on uh, Dooku Tyrannus if he maybe was uh, <laughs> involved in sabotaging um, Grievous in his life before he became uh, more machine than man or being, whatever he was. Uh, and if, like, Dooku thought of the Huyang design, it was like, if we could get this on a guy who just wanted to kill Jedi, he would do a really great job. Four arms are better than two. Although, you know, there's basilisks and stuff, but we didn't know about that at the time. Um, so, by the way, basilisk is the... Not, I'm not talking about the snake from Harry Potter or the thing from mythology. A basilisk is the uh, four-armed people like Dexter Jetster, one of the greatest Star Wars characters in all of history. But anyway, um, yeah, so I wonder if he... like, I just wonder if that idea like struck Dooku as a kid and he's like, mm, we should do this. And then he orchestrates you know, Grievous getting injured and you know, choosing... choosing. If you watch Star Wars The Clone Wars, you'll know that uh, this like medical droid that Grievous has feels like Grievous was like pressured into becoming what he is today. 
uh, a killing machine pawn of the Sith. Anyway, so that just kind of made me think about Grievous and, and those connections. So it's, it's fun because it's connecting me to the, the universe, uh, the broader universe. Another couple things that connected me to the broader universe and were interesting were we got to see... Uh, spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. Hera's son! Hera's son, who she had with Kanan Jarrus, who, for some reason, they assured us again and again and again throughout the run of Rebels that Kanan and Hera had no romantic relationship whatsoever, despite the fact that they acted like a mother and father to the Ghost crew. Turns out they were practicing to be a mother and father. Uh, Not to the Ghost crew, but... Raising the ghost crew was practice for them to be mother and father because they ended up having a kid, Jason Sandula, who's, you know, half human, half Twi'lek. Uh, no Leku on this kid, but he does have green hair, which, anyway, people thought they were going to change the hair from green to black, but it's a very dark green. And uh, that's kind of weird, but, you know, I'm going to roll with it. I'm going to roll with it. But, yeah, it's kind of interesting to see that kid, and his desire to be a Jedi made me think, oh, maybe he can be a Jedi with Luke. And then I think I thought, oh, no, what if he went... Was a Jedi with Luke, what would happen to him? And I'm pretty sure TFA came out after uh, after the end of Rebels, so I even thought about Jason being at Luke's uh, Jedi school and then you know possibly being killed by Kylo Ren or whatever happened there. Um, it's totally still unexplained from anyway. Uh, that's crazy, but regardless, um, yeah, that was uh, that was interesting. Is it is it unexplained or is it explained in the uh, Rise of Kylo Ren comic, but it just doesn't make much sense. I think that's what it is. It just doesn't make much sense. Right. Anyway. So, I don't dig that. I don't dig that at all. But anyway, it was interesting seeing little Jason Sandula. I wonder if they have plans for this kid in the future. I mean, I mean both the actor and the character, or what. I think that would be interesting. Uh, I don't know if he's Force-sensitive, but then again, if he's not Force-sensitive or he's barely Force-sensitive like Sabine, he could be trained by Ahsoka too. Who knows? Who knows? Um, so, yeah, this whole, like, I don't know, controversy or whatever of Sabine training with her low force aptitude is interesting, and I find it interesting that, like, Vieng was a jerk to her, just being a logical, you know, machine man, robot guy, and he's like, oh, she doesn't have much force potential, and Ahsoka basically tells him, like, hey, telling her that's gonna, you know, bring her down and make her have a harder time focusing and tapping into the force and all this stuff, and this idea of Sabine having trouble tapping into the force is interesting and then even Yang brings up that like Mandalorians don't have a very good track record of being able to be like powerful Jedi or whatever kind of doesn't make sense we know the Darksaber comes from an ancient Mandalorian Jedi and I don't know what else I don't know what else but it's just kind of interesting um yeah it's interesting uh, let me see what else. Oh, uh, seeing Mon Mothra was cool, seeing some other senators and like, the state of the New Republic where they don't want to get involved. And I thought it was very interesting. Like, Hera's not being a warmonger. She's saying, like, hey, can I get some troops to go find a guy who's potentially going to bring war back to the galaxy so we can stop him and prevent another war from happening? I thought that was pretty cool. I did not like, and I do object to, and I'm not a veteran. Uh, I... Short... I... Shortly. <laughs> Uh, I very briefly considered joining the military at some point. I have respect for people who join because I believe they join out of a desire for good, but I believe that our... Uh, I'm going to break political for like two minutes here. I believe that the United States of America has an imperial uh, army, basically, that we use to subjugate and subject countries around the world to our will, 
and I think we're going to see more and more other countries break away from partnership with us. They're going to start. They're going to stop relying on our uh, empty shell of a paper you know, fiat U.S. dollar, and they are going to have currencies backed by gold or move to Bitcoin type stuff or whatever. And they're going to do their own thing. And uh, you know, Russia, China. Saudi Arabia, all these different countries are going to become more and more friendly with each other and actually cooperate with each other in a peaceful way that will bring more peace to the world as opposed to our quote-unquote attempts to bring peace to the world by running around shooting at everybody who we don't like who uh, costs us some money. Um, So, yeah, I believe that the United States has the potential to be a great country. It was once a great country and that it's now a oligarchic imperial shell of itself and that, you know, Lucas in warning about the, you know, how democracy dies and other things in the prequels and even in the background of uh, the original trilogy with, like, the kind of commentary on the Vietnam War and stuff, it was spot on. He was spot on, and he was right that we should be skeptical of governments, especially governments that seize more and more power for themselves uh, and that seek to make enemies so that they can have forever wars that enable them to exact certain exert certain amounts of control over the populace and, and make them uh, just like in a perpetual state of fear uh, which leads them to being subjugated and ruled by rulers who will wield fear as a weapon uh, a la the Tarkin Doctrine and other things like that so super interesting uh, political conversation that we had with Star Wars but it's interesting that these senators don't want to do anything because I think they want to appear devish and they want to feel like they've made peace but they won't count the costs of things and they aren't willing to send a detachment of troops with Ahsoka and Sabine and you know some others like a small group it's a whole big galaxy right you can't spend like or send like you know a squadron 10 ships 20 ships 100 ships I I don't know you know a a couple you know Republic uh, command ships I don't know what they call them they're not Star Destroyers but the equivalent the Republic equivalent of Star Destroyers send a couple of Mon Calamari battle cruisers or something like that with them to go see if Thrawn is out in wild space and if he does exist out there kill him and again you know what about the US assassinating people you know what I'm talking about this Star Wars galaxy far far away now if you want to assassinate a guy who's going to more than likely lead a rebellion and start a new war in the galaxy I'm okay with that I think it's morally uh, I think it's morally sound to do especially because once you show up the guy's going to aggress against you and then you can just you know shoot him so anyway I think that's all super interesting, um, and you know I think the idea is that this kind of stuff is going to lead to the the first order emerging eventually, and then coming and screwing things up in the sequel trilogy. But I didn't like so that's a, a lot of stuff, and that was uh, four minutes probably. Uh, and here's a, another minute of politics, and then I'm going to close out. Uh, I didn't like that Hera said to the what is it, was the guy Chinese Zioni Ziono uh, that senator. Did you fight in the war? Oh, no, you waited to see who would come out on top. Basically, if you didn't fight in the war, then you have no right to talk about war or foreign policy or politics. And I think that's bunk and bogus, and that's a establishment idea that gets weaponized against people like me and uh, other anti-war people to say, well, you didn't serve, so therefore you have no opinion and you have no right to say. It's the same as you didn't vote, therefore you have no right to say anything. Yeah, well, I'm, I don't know that I want to vote in you know, for a monster or an idiot. <laughs> I, given the choice between a monster and an idiot, what am I going to choose? I don't know. It doesn't feel like much of a choice to me. So that's all very interesting. Uh, but the Star Wars-iness of it all is good. Uh, I like the dogfights. I like the aerial combat. 
I gotta say, I neglected to say this. Balin and Shin, they have these similar, like, armored-type tunics with these, like, chevron or, like, uh, triangle overlapping designs on them that point downwards. Uh, I think they look really cool, and I wonder, like, what kind of armor is that? Some sort of, like, you know, <laughs> whatever weave armor that gives them protection, even though it's, like, a very much, like, a simple, you know, ritualistic, uh, you know, order of something, such-and-such type robe. I don't know. It feels like that, and it's very cool, and I like that you have her clothes mimicking his clothes, um, but I wonder, were they, just like her lightsaber mimics his lightsaber, I wondered, is it that her clothes mimic his clothes, or is it that her clothes, um, like, they got outfitted to the same place at some point, you know, not too long ago. I, I think that's interesting. I also am kind of curious about these guys who are running around with them. They look a bit, a little bit like those weird Storm Chaser guys from the High Republic thing, um, and also, like, some of the newer aliens from... Like, uh, like the, like the stupid, like, Jenga Club or Jenga, Jenga Jacks, tell it to Jenga, Conja Club, is that what it's called? I think it's Conja Club. Anyway, like, I thought those guys looked pretty much goofy, or maybe it was, wasn't the Conja Club, it was the other guys, but, like, I wasn't impressed with those designs too much, um, and these designs feel reminiscent of them, or a cross between them and those, like, weird Viking space pirate storm chaser guys from the, the High Republic, so, um, that's kind of interesting, design-wise. Um, I don't know much else to say. I mean, it's it's pretty simple that this whole you know hyperspace ring thing, the Eye of Scion, trying to get them to jump to another uh, galaxy. Um, you know, that's to find Thrawn because he's off there. I like I love the connection to the Pergil and that the Pergil um, do intergalactic uh, planets here. You know, intergalactic uh, travel along these you know ancient you know these natural hyperspace lanes that exist in the Star Wars universe. I think that's all really fascinating and cool. And I'm curious to see how that, you know, develops throughout the rest of the series. It was really cool to see them, and it was nice to see Ahsoka and Sabine have, like, an emotional moment seeing the Pergil because they saw them last with Ezra, besides seeing them before then with Ezra. So that's uh, pretty pretty cool. So I like that a lot, but I think I've worn out my welcome now, especially with my political meandering. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, wish that you folks are all... Well, until next time, this is MJ signing out. I hope you enjoyed that. Go to mjmunoz.com to leave any questions, comments, or other feedback you might have. There you can find all of my analysis, art, and fiction. I cover books, tokusatsu, comic books, anime, and more. Look around. You're sure to find something else that you'll enjoy as well. This has been a Story Over Everything production.